0: Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We are coming to the end of 1 Peter. We only have about a month left. Uh, for those of you who aren't sure where we're going next, which is probably all of you but me, uh, except maybe the session, uh, we're going to go into Jonah, the God who seeks sinners. Um, we're going to spend a little time in Jonah, and then uh, I'm not sure where we're going to be. Uh, Jonah will bring us up to Advent, so we'll do something Adventish, and then we'll, um, yeah, we'll see from there. <laughs> First Peter chapter five. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock. of glory, likewise, you who are older, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves all of you with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. we 're not really going to cover verse five this week, that 's part of what we 're going to talk about next week, but uh, that 's same paragraph thought i 'd read it so let 's pray, Jesus. We are your sheep, the ones for whom you have laid down your life, only to take it back up again. We are your sheep who have heard your voice and follow you. This morning we ask that you would tend to your sheep, feed us and guide us by your word. This we ask because you have loved us and love us still. Amen. Crisis is rather interesting in that one of the things it does, it reveals the quality of leadership. Many of us who are old enough anyway, remember when Ronald Reagan was shot, we have the image of Al Haig going, I'm in charge, I'm in charge. No, Al, you weren't. (laughs) Vice President Bush was in charge, not you. And so sometimes it can be humorous, as in the instance of Reagan's uh, assassination attempt. Sometimes it can be devastating. We think of Katrina and the lack of foresight by Mayor Nagin to use the school buses to get people out of town. He didn't do it to many tragic effects. And so leadership is often revealed to be either sound or unsound by crises that come. It's no different in the church. Now in this larger section of 1 Peter, we've seen that Peter is saying, crisis is here and crisis is coming, and so he now addresses the leadership that that is intended to lead through the crisis. So our big idea this morning is that the elders in particular are to shepherd Jesus' sheep like Jesus shepherds His sheep. Let's begin with the reality that Christ's suffering sheep need shepherds. That's what's going on here. Peter is moving to the implications of these fiery trials that he's been talking about. And now he begins to address the leadership of the church, and we can see the fact that this is connected by that little word that starts off this paragraph, so. That's a word that can also be translated, therefore. And we remember what R.C. Sproul says, if you see a therefore, see what it's there for. Okay? And so it's, it points us back To this idea of the fiery trials, to bring out a further implication of these fiery trials. And so here he gives an exhortation. I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God. And so what he's doing here is calling these men to step up, because Serious times are coming and they must engage those times instead of being overwhelmed by those times. These shepherds, these elders, are going to also be in the hard times. They're not immune from these things, but that does not mean that they stop doing the good things that they're called to do as they entrust their souls to their faithful creator. And so that, that command at the very end applies to them as well, at the very end of chapter 4, it applies to them as well, and the uh, dynamics for their particular calling is to shepherd God's people in the midst of the fiery trial. Shepherding begins when all is good, when all is well, it, those are times that you can use to build trust, to establish patterns, but when crisis hits, is when real shepherding begins. The idea, of course, that Peter wants them to get is that they are to tend a particular flock, sheep. He's pointing to the congregants, the the Christians that are, are that they have supervision over. These sheep need provision. These sheep need protection, and elders are intended to provide this provision and protection for them. That's one of the interesting things about sheep, is sheep don't generally take care of themselves. Sheep need a lot of help in this. Sheep don't wander into health. Uh, They tend to wander into danger. Um, And Christians, too, Christians don't wander into holiness and happiness in Jesus Christ. They must be shepherded and guided into this happiness and holiness in Christ. This is not something that's particular to Christianity, but even in the Qumran community, which was there in Jerusalem uh, in the time of Jesus and before, we found this old document, the Cairo-Damascus document, from their community. And it says about the elder that he shall love the congregation as a father loves his children, and he shall carry them in all their distress like a shepherd his sheep. So it's very similar to what Peter is saying here. He said, you need to carry these people. You need to protect these people. You need to guide these people. You need to feed these people. This flock, of course, does need food, water, exercise. And elders are intended to provide the Word of God in order to feed them. In other words, the sheep, you, you guys, you need to hear about Jesus all the time. You need to hear about all that He has done to save the sheep. And so shepherds are intended to proclaim that regularly. They are also intended to guide the sheep through difficult times, through the Word of God. But sheep can't just eat. Sheep need to exercise and for the Christian that means that they are called to serve they're called to exercise the gifts that they have received just as we saw in the middle of chapter 4 that people were to serve one another out of love using the gifts that God had given them to serve eagerly and not in a withholding sort of fashion to be healthy the the general christian needs to serve. And so uh, the elders should not stand in the way of people serving according to their gifts, but they should actually facilitate people standing, uh sorry, serving in light of their particular gifts. So one of the things that we as a session are going to do is we're going to start to meet on a regular basis with all of the different teams in the church. And one of the questions we're gonna, one of the topics we're gonna to discuss is, are we helping you to serve? Are we standing in the way of your service? Are we as a congregation, uh, making it difficult for new people to serve? These kinds of questions so that the body as a whole becomes increasingly healthy and in how it serves, how it functions. Are we helping? people to serve? Are we hindering the service of God's people according to His Word? We're also, as elders, intended to protect from false teachers the wolves. We heard Paul talk about this in in Acts when he was talking to the Ephesian elders. There's going to be wolves that are coming in and they're going to try to tear the flock to pieces. And some of those wolves will even arise from within the flock. And so what is Well, we're talking about providence, God's providence in our Sunday school class. And so the secondary means by which God protects the sheep is by shepherds who know the Word of God and who apply the Word of God and who remove false teachers from within the midst, who remove false doctrine which works like an infection or a parasite if we want to keep that sheep illustration going to get rid of these things and to heal the body so that it grows in its knowledge and understanding of Christ and its practice of Christianity. And so this means in part that elders must know the sheep. Not just their name, but know the sheep. Know the weaknesses of the sheep. The strengths of the sheep. The proclivities of that particular sheep that might get them into trouble, but they also need to know the circumstances and influences of the sheep. If I come to your house, oftentimes I make my way to your bookcase. Because I want to know what you're reading. And I want to know if there's something dangerous in what you're reading. So, be careful. Hide those books now. <laughs> but sometimes I, we, we, as elders, might need to warn you because of an unhealthy author that could be corrupting your pure faith. But in order to, you also need to know the sheep and to know the, the particular problem so that you can address it properly. For instance, in one Thessalonians five, Paul says, "And we urge you, brothers." Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Now, what's important here is a couple things. An idle person can look like a faint-hearted or weak person. You have to know them to know whether that person is being timid, whether that person is weak and overwhelmed, or whether that person is idle or lazy. Because the way in which you shepherd them is very different. You don't want to admonish the one who's faint-hearted. Because as we see, Jesus does not extinguish the smoldering wick, the bruised reed. He does not break, as it says in Isaiah. But rather, He binds it up. And so the weak. The, the The weak-hearted person, the faint-hearted person needs to be bound up and encouraged, not admonished, not shamed, but the idle person should not be held with kid gloves, but should be admonished. so that's part of why we need to know the sheep, we need to know their circumstances. We're not going to chide Claire Miller for not serving in the nursery. She's no longer able to serve in the nursery because she has now his limitations and we must know that so that we're able to love her well and encourage her to serve appropriately. And so shepherding is really a lot about identifying real problems in the middle of a crisis. Okay, not just blaming things in the middle of a crisis. We saw Mayor Nagin, for instance, blaming the federal government for not fixing his problem. Okay? Not talking about blaming, but identifying real problems and then identifying workable solutions to implement. That's a large part of what leadership is. Another way of thinking about it is this way, is, is applying the Word of God, applying the work of Christ, to the circumstances of the flock or the sheep. In other words, we're bringing the gospel to bear upon the particular circumstances of the people in the congregation as they go through fiery trials and even as the, the congregation itself goes through fiery trials. And so suffering is a time when the sheep need to seek and receive shepherding. Secondly, Shepherd the sheep freely, eagerly, and gently like Jesus. See, uh, Peter here offers up three contrasts as he talks about proper oversight of the sheep. And it's important for us to, to keep in mind that these reflect how Jesus shepherded the flock. Now, he doesn't come out and say it quite clearly, but it's implied here because what Peter learned about shepherding, he learned from Jesus. He learned from the Old Testament, as we'll see, and he learned from being shepherded by Jesus for three years, partially through fiery trials. And so he says, first off, not under compulsion, but willingly. In other words, not because you're forced to, but because you want to. And the idea here is the voluntary work of a shepherd or the voluntary work of an elder. Okay, Uh, We don't make someone be be an elder in this church against their will. We don't say to someone, oh, your name came up in in the casting of the lots. It's your turn to be a shepherd. Okay, That's not how we do things in our form of government. And so we want people who are willing to freely engage in the work of shepherding, not people who have been drafted to do this. And so there should be an internal sense of call to this office. And so, as we process the names that you guys have offered up for people that might be uh, suitable for elder or deacon, one of the things that we, if we decide to pursue that man, that we will ask is, do you feel a call to this office? For if you don't, you probably shouldn't serve in that particular office. You're not punching the clock. Is perhaps another way of looking at it, and I. I this again, I think, explains the, the twistedness of my mind. But I go back to the old Looney Tunes cartoons. Okay, I, I bought my kids some of the, the Looney Tunes DVDs, and so they might remember some of these. But uh, the the sheepdog. And I'm not sure if it's a wolf or Wiley, you know, a form of wily e coyote, but still. And one of the cartoons, they live in the same house. They're friends. But they go to the office, which is the fields. They actually clock in. And then now they're enemies. (laughs) And the sheepdog protects the sheep from the coyote for eight hours. Then they clock out and they go and have a beer together. A true shepherd is on the clock all the time. He's not friends with the predators. He's willfully engaging in the shepherding of God's sheep. Secondly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. In other words, this is not a man who is in it for the money. Who wants, as a Ed Eubanks would say, who wants a few extra coins. When we think of those who are looking at it, who are are engaging in ministry for shameful gain, we're intended to think of that passage we read earlier from Ezekiel 34. That's what the bad shepherds were doing. They were seeing the sheep as food. Those shepherds had become predators. And so the leaders of Israel were slicing and dicing the people of God up for their own bellies. And so we're not to do that. Getting paid is not the problem. It's not gain. Shameful gain is what he is saying. Not in it for the money. I don't have an honorarium structure fee or free structure, you know, Oh, you need some additional services. Let me turn here and I'll tell you how much it costs you. No. I'm paid. I serve. I don't require extra payment for extra services. Someone. <laughs> has a phone that wants attention <laughs> okay oh i'm not worried about whose it is oh i mean oh it was, it was down here okay that's what you mean all right um there was i oh yes Rather, someone who's eagerly or, or willingly doing it. Someone who is choosing to embrace the challenges of ministry despite the struggles that are often found in there. Thirdly, he says, not domineering over those in your charge, but as examples to the flock. And there's that, an odd phrase, according to God, or as God would have you do it. And I think that, that last thing there, as as God would have you do it, or according to God, is that idea of as God has shepherded. Okay, uh, That's how I'm understanding it. But not domineering. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 20 and in Mark 10. He says, you know, there's a way that the Gentiles lead. And the, the Gentiles will lord it over the people who are under them. And he says, it's not supposed to be that way with you. you're, You're placed in a position of authority not to be a dictator, he says, but to be a servant. And Jesus points to his own example. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for many. And so Peter was right there. Peter heard this, and he probably was scratching his head at the time, but now as Peter writes this letter, he gets it. He understands that shepherds are not dictators wielding power. uh, They are not to be people who are serving their own agenda and their own interest at the expense of other people. This is an extreme example. I note that. Jim Jones. Some of you aren't old enough to remember Jim Jones. Some of us, unfortunately, are. Of course, the People's Temple... Jonestown, where he, he actually took his people from the San Francisco Bay Area down into the northern part of South America so they could not, no longer be troubled by the local authorities until such time as he decided, as he discovered that the authorities were coming and he told everyone to drink the Kool-Aid, which killed them. That's an extreme example, but I have seen churches where you can never cross the pastor. Because he's a dictator. And you will be destroyed. It happens. And that's not the way it's supposed to happen. That's not what Peter has in mind. Trials, unfortunately, produce within us frequently a desire for control. And so there is a temptation to domineer that grows particularly in the light of affliction. And the worse things get, the more you want to control them. All of us experience that from time to time. And the godly leader resists that temptation when it arises. In the midst of trial, in the midst of conflict, sometimes uh, elders are tempted to yield the word of God like a club, to beat the sheep into submission. You see, the word of God is, in many ways, in some ways, like a gun. It can be used for good purposes, the protection of God's people against the enemy, but sometimes it can be used for evil purposes as well, the destruction of God's people. And so a good, a faithful elder or shepherd will use the word of God to guide, to correct, to encourage, to protect God's people. But I want you to catch something else that he says here. Over those in your charge. I think it's a very important thing. Easily overlooked. Another way of saying this is those allotted to you. In other words, those who are in your flock not someone else's flock. For instance, the session here is supposed to shepherd the people here. We may assist with a church that is having trouble. Okay, We may go and lend them hand, but our primary responsibility is not a different congregation on the other side of town, but this congregation here. They have their own elders who are supposed to be shepherding them. Neither are we supposed to shepherd the flock we wish we had. I've seen far too many times in this city. I, I, can, I know of one example of this from years ago that I've heard from some of you. And there's one going on right now that this is happening as well where the pastor has in mind the people he wants to shepherd. The younger people. And in order to shepherd, to get the younger people in, basically he alienates the people who are actually there instead of shepherding the people that are actually there so that the congregation scatters. It's okay to want to minister to other people. But that doesn't mean that you forsake the people you have. You have to be faithful with them because God has placed them there. And so that's one of the challenges of ministry. Challenges for the session. How can we shepherd the people who are here even as we want to have more people here? In the pursuit of the people who aren't, we can't forsake you. Because you have been allotted to us. You have been placed here uh, by God in his wisdom. Although some of you might wonder about that. Those elders, wisdom, don't know about that. So, Peter also encourages them, okay, don't lord it over them, don't domineer them, don't be a dictator, but lead by example. And Peter does that himself. How does he begin this very passage? He doesn't say, so I, the Apostle Peter, I exhort the elders as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So he doesn't place himself above these elders, but he places himself on the same plane as these elders. I am one of you. Okay, I'm not dictating to you, but I'm showing you my example. And and I am a witness to the sufferings of Christ, which is twofold. On the one hand... Peter witnessed the sufferings of Christ. He was there for Jesus' three years of earthly ministry and saw the opposition and the suffering that Jesus endured during that earthly ministry, but he also saw the sufferings for sin of Christ. He saw the trial. He saw the crucifixion. He saw these things, but he's also, in addition to that, a witness, meaning one who bears witness to these things. And so Peter didn't just see it and keep it to himself. Peter saw it and speaks of it. And that brings suffering to Peter. And so, Peter speaks as one who also participates in the sufferings of Christ, just as this church was. He was not writing to them in some academic, theoretical sort of sense, but Peter writes as one who's lived it. He's saying, follow my example, without saying, follow my example. He lays out, in a sense, an even playing field. He's not dictating to them, even though he's issuing a command. But the way he's issuing it, the basis for which he issues it, is not his role or office as apostle, but by coming alongside them. Why is this important? Let's think for a second. Hebrews 13. Remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so, elders within a church are, are people whose faith is worth imitating. Whose lifestyle for Jesus is worth imitating. Not people who were really good businessmen. Want to sink a church? Pick a good businessman. Now, if he's a godly man, all right, pick him. But not just because he made a lot of money, but because he's a godly person whose faith is worth imitating. So Peter puts the bounds, so to speak, on on service so that it is free, it is uh, eager, it is gentle for the pattern of our shepherds. Thirdly, Christ will honor those who shepherd faithfully. See, Peter says something else here at the beginning. He says that he is a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And so, what Peter is saying is, I'm suffering now, but when Jesus returns, I will partake of his glory. I'm united with Him, it's revealed, it, it's manifested I'm united to Him because I suffer with Him now, and I will then be glorified with Him later. And that is the pattern that we see in places like Romans 8. If we suffer with Him now, we receive the glory later. First comes the, cro- the cross, then comes the crown. We should not, uh, flip them, or reverse them. But it's not just about Peter. Because he then says to them, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. He's reminding them that, that honor is not just for Peter and Paul and those guys, the apostles, but it's for every faithful shepherd. It's for every faithful Christian. What we see in James 1, for instance, in verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. But there's also an additional crown, it would appear to be, for those who have faithfully shepherded God's flock. And he says that it's an unfading crown. Now, we are tempted to think of crowns of gold, but the, the word on fading there has to do with a particular plant. The emerinth, A flower that reportedly neither withers nor fades, which is really hard for me to comprehend. But it was used as a symbol for perpetuity. Eternal life. And so let's not think this is a golden crown, but this is one that is intended to mean it doesn't, it doesn't wear out, doesn't fade. It goes through the ages. It's like a victor's crown, not a king's crown. This is granted by Jesus, who is the chief shepherd. He is the one who is the owner of all the flocks. He is the one who is an authority over all of the local elders. Why would we say this? Well, let's just do a little bit of bible jumping you don't have to go anywhere just yet but it should be in your notes psalm 23:1 the lord is my shepherd i shall not want and so even though the people of israel had earthly shepherds they had prophets priests and kings they looked to god himself as the ultimate shepherd Jesus, in John 10, declares himself to be the good shepherd. He is the Lord who is the shepherd of God's people. And the good shepherd, he says, lays down his life for the sheep. So we see again, Jesus not lording it over his people, but serving their best interest. Earlier in this letter, in chapter 2, we see Peter says, "...for you were straying like sheep." But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And of course, he's referring to Jesus. So Jesus has purchased the flock. Jesus calls us by name. The elders, in other words, as part of the flock, have been loved by Christ. And because they've been loved by Christ, they love the other sheep of Christ. They love the flock. And so Christ is the pattern for shepherding. And one aspect of that that I want to hit on that I that I love, so this is one of my little soapboxes that I don't always get a chance to do, but Messiah fulfilled what's called the munis triplex, the threefold office. In other words, uh, there's there's the three anointed offices within the life of Israel in the Old Testament, prophet, priest, king. They were all officers of the covenant. And they were to function under the authority of the covenant and to help the people to live with God through the covenant. And what happens is that Jesus, as Messiah, is all three of these things. He is the final prophet. He is the great high priest after whom there is no other. And He is the king who reigns on the throne forever. Forever. And he gives these gifts to his officers to his leaders elders so that they might serve his church and so we have this balance that we are to challenge the people in our, our prophetic work we are to comfort the people in our priestly work we're to mobilize the people in our kingly work so that there's overall balance in the body of christ Another way of thinking about this is that we are to proclaim Christ's work so that we might participate in Christ-centered worship and that we might engage in Christ-centered mission. All three aspects. And where a church lacks one aspect, it is unhealthy. Do you know what we struggle with? Mission. Not many of you are kingly kind of people, and so sometimes we struggle with that idea of mobilizing for mission and going forth. and And uh, we need to pray for wise kingly leaders who are able to work with prophetic and priestly leaders, so that it's not a battle, it's not a competition. But it's people working together to fulfill the full calling of a church for God's people. Now, from my perspective, this passage in the life of this church is not theoretical. I've seen this year as being a fiery trial. Maybe I'm crazy. But there are difficult things that the session has to deal with. We need your prayers. Because you know what? We could navigate this thing right into a bunch of rocks. We could navigate this thing in such a way that alienates everybody. We need wisdom. We need wisdom to balance the prophetic, the priestly, and the kingly so that this congregation is not just protected, not just maintained, but grows spiritually and numerically. Because I believe on the basis of the gospel that God wants both. It's not either or. It's both and. And so pray for us. That we would have wisdom. Pray for us as we examine men or, or evaluate men for office. Because we don't want to bring in a person who's going to not be able to play well with others. Do you understand How important this is. So good shepherds can sometimes be unnecessary on the sunshiny days when there are no cares in the world. And it's butterflies and and all that kind of stuff. Streams bubbling. The sheep doesn't think he needs the shepherd that day. But when storms arise or predators arrive, those shepherds are desperately needed. And so a church in crisis needs faithful shepherds to shepherd them, to lead them by the Word of God. These are men who are not to seek their, best, their own best interest, to seek their own little agendas, but to have the interest of the sheep according to the agenda of Jesus, who is the Good Shepherd. Do you want to be shepherded? Sometimes people don't want that. As I think of the men that I, with whom I serve, I see busy men who want to shepherd God's people, and they want to do it better than they currently do it. Such shepherds, I believe, from what we're hearing here, will be honored by Christ When he returns. Let's pray. Father, I do confess that as a session, we're not perfect. We can grow. But I thank you that the the men love you. It's clear in, in our interactions with one another. It's clear that they love your people. It's clear that they want what's best for your people. And so, Father, help us to continue to grow in that. Uh, to continue to grow in in leading through the midst of difficult times. Father, help us to recognize the weaknesses of the flock as well as our own weaknesses. Help us to Find other men who want to lead by example. Other men who want to teach your word faithfully. And are you to shepherd this flock. And so we pray as well that through these means that you have appointed, uh, this flock would get increasingly healthy. That it would get fat. That it would be productive. That would be growing. And Father, that's not an accident, but it's something that you produce through these ordinary means. And so we ask that you would do that. We'd also ask that you'd use extraordinary means where necessary for your glory and for our good. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.